of the show. Thanks for tuning in. It is Daniel Wartman coming to you live from the Dream Imagine Sports Studios. It is Friday, December the 6th. Don't know what your weekend plans are, but uh, hope you have a good weekend this weekend coming up. A lot going on within U.S. soccer, and uh, and today is going to be actually uh, a short episode for us. Um, we have uh, a few things we have to get to, and uh, some uh, some issues on the calendar that we just we can't get around. So uh, we will be a little bit, uh, well, quite a bit shorter today than we normally are, and uh, we're already a little bit uh, late getting started. Um, but, um, we do apologize for, for that. We'll be back in, in full action on Monday. Um, but I, I, I did want to quickly, um, while, while we had a moment to talk about today, uh, some of the, the news that is going on this weekend and the article that, uh, came out yesterday, Whenever, um, whenever we look at where we are in, within U.S. soccer, whenever we look at um, all of the different things that that have been going on, um, you know, the truth is more that comes to light, the quicker we are to a solution. And um, in the Wall Street Journal uh, yesterday, Rachel Bachman um, published an article, U.S. Soccer Federation's Struggle Deepen. And um, more than two years have passed since the U.S. men's soccer team lost to Trinidad and Tobago, failing to qualify for the 2018 World Cup, sending the U.S. Soccer Federation tumbling into turmoil. The team has a new coach, the Federation has a new president, but the fractured foundation that precipitated that loss has not been repaired. U.S. soccer has been operating for more than a year without knowing who its next CEO will be. The brother of the U.S. men's coach, who is the chief commercial officer for the Federation, is reported to be a candidate to be the next CEO, and in recent years has weighed in on decision-making about soccer staffing, usually left to technical experts, or coaches, a prominent former player and coach says. Many of U.S. soccer's youth national team coaches and technical staff have left and haven't been replaced, leaving a void that could have long-term effects on the U.S. men's and women's senior national teams. The men's team starts qualifying for the 2022 World Cup next year. We need a national team that performs right now. We need a federation that's healthy and viable and people feel good about And that's a struggle right now, said United Soccer Coaches CEO Lynn Burling Manuel. She leads a group that represents 30,000 coaches at all levels and is an associate member of U.S. Soccer. Being without a CEO is perhaps the fundamental error, Burling Manuel said. That's tough for any company. Staff is complaining bitterly because no one will make a decision about anything. The U.S. men finished 11-5-2 in 2019 with 10 wins, coming against teams ranked below 50th in the world. In October, the Americans lost to Canada for the first time in 34 years. Average attendance for men's home games dropped 43% from 2015, the team's last year after a World Cup. U.S. soccer sporting director Ernie Stewart 
emphasized the youth of the men's national team and noted that U.S. men's coach Greg Berhalter has been in place only a year. Stewart added, we feel that we are moving in the right direction. The team's shaky results have called attention to the fact that Berhalter's older brother is Jay Berhalter, the Federation Chief's Federation's chief commercial and strategy officer. Jay also is widely reported to be a leading candidate to become U.S. Soccer's CEO, which former employees say would worsen the appearance of a conflict of interest, among other problems that we've already talked about on the show. U.S. Soccer spokesman Neil Booth, responding for Federation officials, including Jay Burhalter, declined to comment on any CEO candidates, but said the search has been incredibly thorough and that the Federation aims to make a decision in coming months. Longtime U.S. Soccer CEO Dan Flynn, who indicated more than a year ago he was planning to leave the position, departed in September. Booth said there were no conflicts of interest in having brothers serving in two of the Federation's highest ranking positions because Jay Burhalter has nothing to do with the technical department. But Jay Burhalter has played a broader role behind the scenes than his job title suggests. According to Tab Ramos, a prominent former U.S. men's national team player who left U.S. soccer in October to become head coach of Major League Soccer's Houston Dynamo. Ramos, who coached U.S. soccer's under-20s men's national team to unprecedented success, said that Jay Burhalter often waded into matters of soccer staffing. For anyone who's worked at U.S. soccer the last four or five years, it was clear that the technical message was coming from Jay Burhalter, Ramos said. At a meeting about three years ago in Chicago, Ramos recalled he said he wanted to establish a goalkeeping program for the youth national teams, which Ramos oversaw as youth technical director. But Burhalter pushed back, he said. He said, why would we need a goalkeeping program more than a forwards program? Ramos said, I was really surprised that someone that doesn't have the technical knowledge could be involved in the decision making of technical people. Booth said that Jay Burhalter, starting in 2014, was involved in helping the Federation craft a strategic plan to improve the sporting development programs, but that Stewart now oversees all technical aspects of the organization. U.S. soccer has seen some successes since the fateful October 2017 loss that hastened the departure of Federation President Sunil Gulati. Carlos Cordero, elected U.S. soccer president in early 2018, helped bring home the U.S. 2026 World Cup joint bid with Canada and Mexico. The U.S. women last summer won their fourth World Cup and played a five-game victory tour before adoring fans, though that team also is suing the Federation for pay discrimination. Also, U.S. Soccer's created an anonymous hotline that lets employees report suspected ethics or policy violations by Federation staff and hired a consulting firm to survey employees about their concerns. U.S. Soccer made the moves in the wake of scathing online reviews of its workplace atmosphere that appeared earlier this year. On the field, U.S. Soccer's youth national team coaching departures have left critical talent pipelines with a patchwork of leadership. Most of the head coaches of the 14 men's and women's age group youth national teams have left in recent years and haven't been replaced. A pivotal juncture came in 2018 when U.S. soccer leaders issued an edict. Coaches had to live in Chicago, where U.S. soccer is based, or risk not having their contracts renewed. Dave Vandenberg, 
who coached several youth national teams during nine years with U.S. soccer, said he left the Federation earlier this year after being told he had to relocate from his home outside Fort Worth, Texas. I immediately said that's not going to happen, said Vandenberg, now an assistant coach with MLS's New England Revolution. First off, I don't see the benefit because we're never there. There's no field in Chicago. For six months of the year, you can't be in Chicago because of the weather. Booth said that having coaches in one location improves communication, efficiency, and mutual understanding. April Heinrichs, a former U.S. women's national team head coach and player, was U.S. soccer's women's youth technical director overseeing all women's youth national teams before leaving in 2018. Four women's youth national team head coaches also left that year. I think it has to be a concern for our community that we haven't replaced youth national team coaches since March of 2018, Heinrich said. When you look at this article and you start to peel back the layers of the onion, there is a lot to unpack here. And, um, you know, unfortunately... um, we don't have all the time in the world today to do that. We will get into some more of this on Monday. Um, but I, I do want to say a couple quick things um, today going into this weekend. First, for all of those who went on the record in this article, Lynn Burling Manual, Tab Ramos, Dave Vandenberg, April Heinrichs, kudos to them because for so long people were not willing to go on the record because of the culture within U.S. soccer, not just at U.S. Soccer House, but within U.S. soccer. And we need people to speak up and go on record and talk about where, where things are so that we can get better, not because we need to make things personal, but just so we can make things better. So I just want to say, I appreciate the fact that they have gone on record and, and publicly stated, um, you know, their thoughts and, and shed more light on where we are on things. Secondly, this weekend, the United States soccer federation board of directors will be meeting and they will have an opportunity to discuss um, some bylaw and policy amendments, some things that can help the Federation uh, fix some of these issues, even some of these issues that have directly uh, are directly related to even some of the lawsuits they're dealing with in terms of governance and transparency and things like that. And I hope that um, the Federation takes takes some time, the board of, rec- board of directors takes some time to, to carefully consider those amendments before them because we do need to make changes. I don't think anyone can look at where we are and blindly say that we're okay as a federation. Um, We're not. We have a lot of issues. We have to get better. And the only way we're going to do that is a lot of introspection, putting all of our cards on the table, getting input, help, and advice from experts for people with new ideas better ideas different ideas what have you in order for us to get these things sorted out and that means change and change is scary 
but change is necessary, especially within U.S. soccer. You can see this. Um, you can see this in so many areas, whether it's searching for a CEO, whether it's the um, very shallow attempt to create a layer of um, of a buffer between the Burhalter brothers. All of these moves, when you look at them, and then you talk to people who are involved or have been involved behind the scenes, you can tell that it is it is definitely a situation where a lot is going on, a lot needs to be better, a lot needs to improve, and that some of these things that have been offered up as improvements or changes are are really disingenuous moves, more of a political, let's cover ourselves and try to pull the veil over people and, 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 and force things through. And, and for all the U.S. soccer employees, former employees who have gone on record or who have spoken up and have complained, I just want to say thank you. Not for because I want to encourage people to be troublemakers. I just want to say thank you for being honest. We, we need honest conversations to get better. It's not always easy. It's oftentimes very frustrating. It's, you know, like I mentioned, change isn't always fun. For a lot of people, change is never fun. And I get it. A lot of people don't like conflict and they don't, enjoy tough, candid, but often necessary conversations. And we need more of those in U.S. soccer to get things right, to get things better, and to have a brighter future. So all eyes are on Chicago this weekend, and we'll see what comes out of those meetings. Uh, There's rumors of a press conference today and some news coming out today. We'll see what that is. And uh, we'll see what what we find out about cover uh, of things going on, coverage coming out of the board meeting this weekend. Thanks for watching. We will see everyone on Monday. Back to uh, full hour on Monday with a full show. Hope you have a great weekend. We'll see everybody then. Goodbye.